My Law BC started, again, because we really care about helping people who can't afford lawyers get timely and fair solutions to their problems. And welcome once again to Jumping Off the Ivory Tower with Prof. Julie Mack. My name is Dana Cornwall, and I'm the project coordinator at the National Self-Represented Litigants Project. And I'm Julie McFarlane, the director at the National Self-Represented Litigants Project at Windsor Law. And uh, this week, Julie, you had a great conversation with another one of our board members, Sherry McLennan, who is the director of the Legal Services Society in B.C., Yeah, in fact, Sherry's title is Director of Public Legal Information and Applications at the Legal Services Society, which is the Legal Aid Board in British Columbia. And she's also the chair of the BC Public Legal Information, uh, Education and Information Working Group. Sherry is very committed to and has a special interest in trying to provide accessible information to the public. And her focus in particular is on providing those services to people who are not eligible for legal aid, who don't qualify for full representation. And as you'll hear in our conversation, there is a big emphasis in the work that she has spearheaded on using people who are not lawyers uh, to provide extremely important and useful information and referral. And she also has had a particular focus in the last couple of years on trying to better serve First Nations communities who are generally seen as being extremely underserved by the justice system. And part of what Sherry also talks about in this interview, and we will put the link on our website, of course, is the My Law BC initiative, which she's been working on for several years now. And I'll let the interview speak for itself on that. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Julie. So, Sherry, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today because there is a lot of interest uh, amongst both the legal and the self-represented communities around the use of technologies and other innovations that we're now beginning to see among the legal aid boards. And I know that you have lots to tell me about what BC is doing. So, I appreciate that we're going to have an interesting conversation here today, I think. I'm looking forward to it. So, like, of course, all provincial legal aid boards, British Columbia is now faced with trying to stretch the available resources to meet a growing need among people without sufficient funds to pay for legal counsel, but who do not qualify for legal aid in the ways in which we have traditionally set those eligibility um, bars. And I know that this challenge is pushing legal aid board managers just like yourself, all over Canada to look for Mm -hmm. innovative approaches to try to provide some level of service to people who may not qualify for full representation, but who you may be able to help in other ways. So could you just begin by talking about some of the ways in which British Columbia has been trying to tackle this challenge in the last couple of years? Well, sure, I'd be happy to. At the Legal Services Society, where we're also known as 
Legal Aid BC, we like to pilot innovative ideas, evaluate them, and then keep the ones that are most effective or change them up so that they become effective. And so some of the things we found effective to help people that weren't eligible for that traditional referral to a legal aid lawyer include using non-lawyers to provide assistance. Hmm. So for example, we've got designated staff who are information and resource specialists who can answer questions but not give advice to any member of the public. And they can connect people then to online resources, print resources, or free in-person resources that can help with whatever the legal problem is. And then they can also coach and assist people that want to use online services but maybe aren't confident in navigating a site on their own. And then something else we're doing in that regard um, is because we've got uh, the Legal Services Society Act that establishes us as a society, and it permits us to deliver legal services using paralegals. And so we've used that to great effect, especially to serve our First Nations clients. We've got a position called an Aboriginal Community Legal Worker, and she provides legal advice and advocacy under legal supervision, but she works on her own. And so she helps people that aren't eligible for legal aid, um, don't have a lawyer, and sometimes even those that do have lawyers, because sometimes the clients are afraid to ask questions or too shy to ask questions, mm -hmm. and she translates mm -hmm. the legalese for them. From what you're saying, Sherry, I mean, you know, you're acknowledging the inevitable that there is insufficient, there are insufficient resources to help everybody on every matter that wouldn't otherwise qualify for legal aid, and you have to have to set some priorities here, I guess. Oh, absolutely right. Um, we just unfortunately don't have the funding to provide lawyers to everybody that needs one, and so again, you know, we're just trying to find different ways to provide services. And so something else we've done is actually a partner, especially in rural and remote communities, mm -hmm. with uh, social service agencies and sometimes directly with First Nations and bands. And we contract with them and train them so that they can act in their community like a legal information and referral mm -hmm. hub in their community. And that's had a big impact in helping people in those communities because sometimes they're so small, they don't have lawyers or they don't even have lawyers mm -hmm. and legal aid. And this can help connect them to resources that can help. And I'm sure also, you know, as you say, overcome some of the trust issues that might exist as well with, uh, with accessing legal services if it's somebody recognizable within their own community. Yes, yes, because they're providing other services, so there isn't that kind of stigma or flag going up, you know, who are they going to go talk to? <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I really, before we move on, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it's really interesting how, um, how, how sort of forward-looking BC has been around using people who are not lawyers in these information and referral roles that you've been describing, because I know from my own work with self-represented litigants how incredibly important those roles are and I think sometimes we we underestimate the importance of that kind of assistance compared to a more traditional legal expert uh, in the form of a lawyer. Have you got feedback or evaluation on the, um, the legal information um, slash paralegal 
um, services that you've been providing from the public? We have, yes. We, we evaluated um, all of these uh, services when we launched them and got very good feedback. And then we, every three years, survey our clients, just have a standard legal aid client mm-hmm. survey. And uh, the Aboriginal community legal worker in particular always gets very, very positive feedback about that service. You know, to expand the lawyer services as well. And one I'll just quickly touch on is our family law line, which is a telephone hotline model. And uh, that uh, we've trained our lawyers, so they now use a coach approach inspired by the National Self-Represented Litigants Project's work. And they That's provide right. up to six hours of legal advice and document review uh, for self-represented people. Oh, that's terrific. In a coaching model over the phone. Yes, yes. <laughs> Now, I know that in addition to all of these other innovations, one of the things that you are particularly passionate about and that the Legal Services Society has has been working hard on in the last couple of years is expanding online technology to bring people more legal information and assistance. And, you know, we know that reliable online information, uh, especially where there's a, a sophisticated interface, where there can be some kind of online interaction for questions and pathways that help people uh, figure out what might be the appropriate next steps for them to take. You know, we know that really good online systems make a big difference for SROs. So could you tell us a little more, Sherry, about the Society's My Law BC initiative? Because I know this is something that you have put a lot of time and, and work into in the last couple of years uh, and how this is making a difference. My Law BC started, again, because we really care about helping people who can't afford lawyers get timely and fair solutions to their problems. And self-help information delivered online is one of the strategies we've used to fill in gaps and help people without lawyers. We started with our family law website back in 2003, and it had grown to one point to over 1,400 pages, so we knew it was getting oh, harder my goodness. for people yes. yeah, to so find the information they needed. Yep. Exactly. So when we heard about, about three years ago, this cutting-edge work the Dutch Legal Aid Board had done with their new website, we really wanted to learn more. And what we found is that they were using uh, branching logic and algorithms in response to an interactive question and answer approach to provide customized legal information. So that was very exciting for us. And so we decided... We wanted to do that in BC. So you took, I know, that design template. um, And in fact, when we put this podcast up, Sherry will put up the blog that was written about the ways that MyLawBC was was developed for people's information. And obviously a link to the site as well. You took it and adapted it for your 1,400-page family law website, (laughs) correct? Not all of it, but a big chunk of it. Um, What we did is uh, include not only family law, but we had also done some research uh, to find out what were the highest priority needs for British Columbians, where did they see gaps, mm-hmm. and that research flagged not only family law, but also there was needs for wills and estates information, mm-hmm. uh, focus on domestic violence, and then also uh, debt information, and in particular mortgage debt. So we covered all those areas in my law, BC. And basically, my understanding of the program is that people will input their information and they will be led along a pathway. 
in order to determine what the next step should be. Is that accurate? That's right. They uh, go through a question and answer process and uh, at the end of that, and as they go through it, they're getting small bite-sized chunks of information that tell them a little bit of information Mm. and then provide some tools where they can drill down deeper if they want more information about this. Mm. But the whole design is very clean so that people aren't overwhelmed by a wall of words. It just right. enables them to progress. And at the end of the question and answer pathway, which takes about 15 to 20 minutes for people to complete, mm-hmm. they get a downloadable uh, action plan that gives them information for what they should do now, recommended reading, who they can con- to contact, mm-hmm. and next steps. Right, and presumably they can circle that back to the legal information um, folks and perhaps even paralegals depending upon where they are and what they have access to, to take it a bit further if they have more questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, in the sidebar of of the website as people are navigating through it, we include contact information for legal aid, uh, pop-ups, how they can get free legal advice from Family Duty Council, the Family Law Line, other free resources like our government offers uh, Family Justice Counselors, which is free mediation services. So we're trying to point out free or low-cost services. I mean, it's it's just very impressive, Sherry. I mean, I've watched my law BC develop over the last three years, and we've talked about it in the past. And and it seems to take you know a whole range of different ways in which self-represented litigants can be helped, and try to give people lots of different options. And in a way, you know, it, it serves, I think, as as a model of what a really reliable and practically useful online resource might look like. But of course. You know, we know that there are still a lot of online resources out there that people consult when they're searching around and Googling mm-hmm. around that aren't so reliable. Um, you know, trying to channel people to sites like yours that are reliable and, and, and can be counted on for accurate information is also a challenge. Yes. And we also know that, you know, even the very best sites and I think, you know, my law BC certainly fits into that category, also have their own limitations, also range, you know, raise some challenges for some people. Um, so, you know, I, I understand that we want to try to maximize the usefulness of online information, but what do you think are the limitations here? What are the challenges? Well, there's three limitations that come to mind generally, and I think the first is access to the Internet, although this is a diminishing issue. Um, A recent government study in BC found that 95% of British Columbians have access to high-speed Internet, but yet we know the quality of that Internet varies throughout the province. The other thing we know is that even among our marginalized clients from our client surveys, um, three years ago when we last did one, uh, 80% of our clients had access to the Internet. And when you look at Family Duty Council clients, it was as high as 90%. Um, So that's a diminishing issue. But the second limitation is, and I think you touched on this, digital literacy. There are so many people who are comfortable with email and great on Facebook, but it's that ability to search out reliable information, mm-hmm. recognize it's a challenge. And so, you know, that's even why the name of the site's My Law BC. It's a big clue. This is a site yes. for British Columbian law. 
And mm-hmm. so we take techniques and do things like that to, to make it clear. So if someone lands on it from Saskatchewan, you know, there's some flags for them. Oh, this is for British Columbia. Yeah. I think it's also why it's so important, though, to have allies in the community, like our community partners who are trained. And so when they're meeting with people that have issues, they can say, hey, here's a resource that can help you, and I can show you how to use it. So that's really important. Right. So they can give them, if you like, a kind of literacy introduction to how to use it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it eliminates the searching. They know it's reliable and then can build their confidence in using a site. Right, right. And, you know, the the other thing I think that we are very conscious of with the project is that there are some people who just want someone to talk to. You know, there, there is a certain amount. In fact, there is you know, with a really good site like Milo BC, there is a, a very significant amount that we can achieve online. But there's always the need for that kind of human contact and that interaction. You know, I, I agree completely, and it's interesting, just even in some of the social science, but what makes uh, legal information effective in the website itself, they're suggesting now it's not enough just to present the legal information, but you should be acknowledging for the readers that this stuff is hard and that Mm. they can do it Mm. and actually give them words of encouragement, which is a sea change in how we've traditionally given legal information. Absolutely. I mean, I remember, you know, five years ago when we first started the NSROP looking at what was available online and it was usually the rules of procedure on a URL at best, which wasn't anything <laughs> that I don't think any of us would particularly want to sit down and read um, No, without words of encouragement. We're going to be evaluating the whole um, of my law BC with a formal evaluation to test whether it really is effective in helping people get early resolutions yeah. to their legal problems and that evaluation won't be complete until February 2019 because we want to give people time, track their outcomes, see what happens. But in the meanwhile, we're doing electronic surveys and uh, from September to December, we had about 400 people participate and 84% of them, yeah, said it was, you know, rated the site good, very good or excellent. So we're we're really pleased. Well, we look forward to, uh, we should talk again when when that evaluation comes out. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it might be making, you know, some of the other legal aid boards envious to see <laughs> how how effective this is being. So just just to finish up today, Sherry, um, I, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening knows that you're a member of the NSRLP Advisory Board. In fact, you have been a member since... 2013, when we first began from the very beginning, and you were part of the dialogue event when uh, we first presented the results of the SRO um, study, and I remember you talking about the uh, the beginnings of My Law BC at, at yes. that time. It was just the germ of an idea. You're exactly. already adamant about it, but it was just beginning. Um, so can I just ask you, as a, as a sort of closing piece, what do you see, because you have been so much part of this process and this project with us, what do you think has been the most important achievement of the NSRLP so far? And, and of course, what do you think should be our next priorities? Because there's so much work to be done, sometimes setting those priorities is, is tough. 
Yes. Uh, you know, and that's a hard question because there's been many accomplishments and many things yet to do, you know, in terms of advance and justice to self-represented mm-hmm. litigants. Things that come to mind, I, I think, are the important successful intervention on the Pintia case at the Supreme Court of Canada. Yes. Um, I think that's going to make a real impact so that self-reps are treated more fairly and not held to the standards of counsel going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing that you guys do consistently on a great basis is identifying and filling in gaps and in information resources. And I think, you know, you really leverage the fresh perspectives that your students bring on this issue. Yes. You know, like when I think about what may be the most significant impact is I think the project has really made a significant contribution towards culture change in the legal profession and the justice system. You know, it's such a slow culture to change, being grounded in precedent, but in the last few years, we've seen the perception of self-represented litigants improve. Mm. You know, there's a lot more understanding of why they're there mm. and that the access to justice crisis is real. And I think the project has such an important role to play in making people realize that the problems aren't just owned by the profession and the solutions have to come with the involvement of the public for whom yes. the system is there to serve. I 100% agree. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Sherry. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. in BC is this effort to use, as she put it, non-lawyers to to help self-represented litigants, especially with procedural questions and procedural issues. So not legal advice, but just literally, how do I... How do I do this task? Right. And and I think that one of the things that I, I, I feel so strongly about BC taking a lead on here as a legal aid board is the emphasis that they're giving to using people who can provide legal information about procedures and referrals and other kinds of support and assistance without being lawyers. And, you know, what we saw in the original study that I think sometimes people don't quite fully grasp the importance of is that self-represented litigants were much more terrified and overwhelmed by procedure than they were about making arguments to the court. Now, that's not to say that they wouldn't need and benefit from a lot of expert assistance in making those arguments, but their own perceptions, and this is still consistent in the self-reps we hear from all the time at the project, was that it was the procedure that was the most intimidating part. And the, as Sherry puts it, non-lawyers, we should, we had a take the pledge campaign a few years ago <laughs> in which we were trying to persuade all of us to get used to saying justice system professional instead of non-lawyer, but we, we do still get stuck in this. And Sherry talked about all the different roles that BC Legal Services Society is leveraging uh, those kinds of critically important roles. But going off of that, I guess kind of falling into that category, uh, is this initiative where they've been training community members, and I think Sherry was speaking specifically about First First Nations communities, and training somebody within a community to act 
act as kind of a legal facilitator and giving them some basic legal knowledge that then they could then take back to their community and act as kind of a go-to person. Right, as a trusted intermediary. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I thought that was fascinating because, again, we so often imagine that the only people who can be helpful are the experts, and this is a perfect example of empowering somebody within the community to serve their own community. And, you know, there is another... And, and somewhat different role again for paralegals to do some of this work. And they're also obviously le leveraging that in British Columbia. So you and Sherry talk a lot about the absolutely wonderful uh, tool, MyLawBC, mm -hmm. which uh, we would encourage everyone to go and check out. It's it's such a great idea and it's been so well executed. Yes. Um, so we, you know, we won't go into again all the wonderful things that that is and is doing but what really struck me about that was how much of a commitment they have to evaluation and feedback yeah. and public feedback and it seems to be a huge part of what they're doing there is this really concerted deliberate and and um passionate effort to make sure that what they're doing is working and, and getting that feedback. And I think that's really, really fantastic. Um, anybody who's putting out any kind of tool, like that's really what anybody yeah, that's, should be that's doing. That's the gold standard, yeah, exactly. you know, and having worked on program evaluations in government over the last 25 years or so, I know that sometimes program evaluations are done just as a way of ticking a box for a funder. Uh, and sometimes they don't engage the right people to give feedback. And I think that what we're seeing as a model of really best practice um, in BC is that they are going to the public and they are truly interested in the feedback that they're getting. She spoke as well um, in uh, an earlier conversation that she and I had about the dialogue tool, which is a tool on my, B my Law BC that enables couples to talk to one another about what might be the elements of a separation agreement. And that's a fascinating tool, but they have actually taken it down to modify it as a result of feedback and you know to see their commitment to really trying to get public input to this uh, I thought was extremely impressive I agree in other news last week Windsor Law welcomed Ontario's Attorney General Yasser Nakvi to give the George M. Duck Lecture as part of the law school's year-long 50th anniversary celebration. Mr. Nakvi's lecture was entitled Challenging the Status Quo, A Vision for the Next 50, and focused on several access to justice issues particularly challenging our justice system at the moment, including the much-discussed problems of trial delays, the bail system, the AG cited the fact that roughly 70% of the 8,000 people in provincial correctional facilities are simply awaiting bail, and the overrepresentation of Indigenous peoples in the criminal justice system. The 2018 federal budget includes some extra money for legal services and courts. But is it enough or just a Band-Aid? There is money to pay for 39 additional family court judges across Canada, including six in the Ontario Superior Court. There is also additional funding to move forward the unification of federal and provincial jurisdictions in family court, currently an archaic system that costs litigants dearly and wastes critical and stretched court resources. 
There is an extra $25 million for legal aid to be devoted to bringing forward workplace sexual harassment complaints in a move redolent of the recent attention brought to sexual harassment by the hashtag MeToo movement. There is also $10 million earmarked to enable the RCMP to reopen cases of sexual assault. Every extra dollar to improve access to justice is welcome, of course. But is it churlish of us to point out that these are paltry amounts when the country faces an A to J crisis like never before? And we fear that the announcement of these funds is perhaps calculated good publicity rather than a genuine desire to help the many litigants who need assistance right now. Finally, we feel compelled to speak about the second, horrifying, not-guilty verdict in a murder trial involving a First Nations Canadian in the last few weeks. First, Colton Bushy, the young man shot dead when he and his friends went onto a farmer's property in Saskatchewan, and now Tina Fontaine, a Winnipeg teenager who was found murdered. The scenes in the courtroom, when the verdict was announced, were heartbreaking, and the impassioned calls for change from First Nations chiefs and others followed swiftly. Some lawyers' organizations have called for an appeal against the acquittal of Gerald Stanley, the farmer who shot Colton Bushy. The acquittal of Raymond Cormier of the murder of Tina Fontaine was also heavily criticized as exemplifying the injustices experienced by First Nations Canadians, who were not represented in the trial jury. Both of these cases remind us of the miles and miles we have to go in order to repair and change the relationship between Indigenous peoples and other Canadians. That's all for Jumping Off the Ivory Tower this week. Join us next week when our guest will be legal scholar and activist Dr. Benny Tai, whom Julie interviewed during her time in Hong Kong in February. Benny Tai is the initiator of the Occupy Movement for Universal Suffrage in Hong Kong, and you won't want to miss this fascinating conversation. 